John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 59, verses 12 through 20. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear a record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I came, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. Yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Burkett notes, Our blessed Savior, having baffled the design which the Pharisees had upon him, and showed a spirit of divine wisdom in delivering himself from that snare which they had laid for him, he returns to instruct the people in the treasury. And here note 1. He instructs them in the nature of his office, which was to enlighten all men with the knowledge of divine truth, so that they should not walk in darkness, either of sin or error, but be led to eternal life. Learn hence that the great end and errand of Christ's coming into the world was to give light upon poor souls that sat in darkness. Observe, too, the exception which the Pharisees made against our Savior's testimony of himself. Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Indeed, such is the corrupt nature of man, which is prone to seek itself and hunt after vainglory, that it may render a person's testimony of himself suspected. But Christ, being true God, that cannot lie, and coming out of the bosom of his Father, as his ambassador, his testimony of himself is above all exception, and ought to be credited without further proof. Observe 3. How Christ challenges his enemies, the Pharisees, for judging carnally of him, and according to the meanness of his outward appearance, whereas he judged no man, that is, first, no man, as they judged according to outward show. Or, secondly, I judge no man, that is, at present, my proper work is not to condemn any, but to teach all. And my office is that of a prophet, not of a judge. My coming now is to instruct and save the world. My next coming will be to judge and condemn it. Observe 4. Christ declares that he is not alone in the testimony given of himself, but that his Father did also testify and bear witness of him, and that according to their own law, the testimony of two was always accounted and esteemed valid. Now, says Christ, if so much weight be to be laid upon the testimony of two men, how much more forcible should the testimony of the Father, and of whom the Father hath sent, be to satisfy you that what I say of myself is true? Learn hence, one, that the Father and the Son, the one in essence and operation, yet are distinct persons. Two, that these distinct persons did bear joint witness concerning Christ. God the Father testified of him by a voice from heaven, and Christ, as God, bear witness of himself as man and as mediator. Surely out of the mouth of two such witnesses, the truth of Christ's divine mission is sufficiently established. Verses 21 through 24. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. 
Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he say, Whither I go, you cannot come. And he saith unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Burkett notes, Observe here, a dreadful threatening denounced by Christ against the obstinate and unbelieving Jews. Ye shall die in your sins. That is, in the guilt of your sins, under the power and undergoing the punishment of your sins. Lord, what a sad word is this, ye shall die in your sins. O better it is a thousand times to die in a ditch, for they that die in their sins shall rise in their sins, and stand before Christ in their sins. Such as lie down in sin in the grave shall have sin lie down with them in hell to all eternity. The sins of believers go to the grave before them. Sin dieth while they live, yet the sins of unbelievers go to the grave with them. While they live, they are dead in sin, and by sin they fall into death, from which there is no recovery unto life. Observe, too, the grand sin for which this great punishment is threatened, and that is the sin of unbelief. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Plainly intimating that, of all sin, infidelity or unbelief is the grand damning sin under the gospel. The devil hath as great an advantage upon men by making them strong in unbelief, as God hath by making his people strong in faith. Unbelief renders a sinner's case desperate and incurable. It doth not only procure damnation, but no damnation like it. Verses 25 through 28. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But if my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Burkett notes, the Jews, hearing our Saviors denouncing such a terrible threatening against them, because they believe not on him, in the foregoing verses, here they perversely ask him who he was. Our Savior replies that he was the same that he was from the beginning, even the very Christ, and that they were the very same that they were also, the mortal enemies and opposers of the truth, but that the time was hastening when they should be fully convinced who he was, namely, when they had lifted him up upon his cross when he was risen again and ascended into heaven, and brought that destruction upon them which he had so often threatened. Learn hence that the sufferings of Christ were clear and convincing demonstrations, both who he was and what he was. The darkening of the sun, the quaking of the earth, the rending of the rocks, the opening of the graves, were such convincing proofs of his deity that they could not but say, Verily, this was the Son of God. Verse 29 and he that sent me is with me. The Father had not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Burkett notes, that is, he that sent and commissioned me for the great work of redemption, he is continually with me, both to assist and to accept me, I doing everything that is agreeable to his holy will and pleasure. Hence learn, one, that the work of redemption in the hands of Jesus Christ was a work well-pleasing to God the Father. The work itself was highly pleasing to him, and Christ's way of managing it was well-pleasing also. 
too, that the reason why it was thus well-pleasing to God was because he acted in constant conformity to his father's will, kept his father's commission, and executed his father's commands, always doing those things that pleased him. Learn three, that as the Father and Christ were inseparable in respect of the unity of the divine essence, so the Father was always with Christ as mediator, both to support and to uphold him, to accept and to reward him. The Father hath not left me alone, either in the doing of his will or in the suffering of his pleasure. Learn, for that those who desire the gracious and special presence of God with them in all conditions, particularly in times of suffering and trouble, they must make it their care and study to please God and to observe his will in all things. Then God will be with them in his guiding presence, in his strengthening presence, in his comforting, in his quickening, in his sanctifying, sympathizing, and accepting presence. Verses 30 through 32. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Burkett notes, Observe 1. The blessed fruit and success of our Savior's foregoing discourse concerning his person and office. As he spake these words, many believed on him, not by their own natural power and ability, but by Christ's omnipotent and efficacious grace. He that spake to the ear caused his word to reach the heart. Christ himself, that planted and watered, gave also the increase. Observe, too, the love and care of Christ mentioned to these new converts. He watereth immediately these planted with wholesome advice and counsel. If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. Where note, it must be Christ's word, the true doctrine of the gospel, and in this abided and continued in, which is evidence of our discipleship. Observe three, a special privilege which shall follow upon abiding in the doctrine of Christ. They shall increase in the knowledge of it, and be made free by it. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Where note, that man is naturally in bondage and captivity, by blindness of mind, by hardness of heart, by rebellion of will. Two, that the means appointed by God for setting him at liberty from this captivity and bondage is the word of Christ and the doctrine of the gospel. The truth shall make you free. Verses 33 through 36. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make ye free, ye shall be free indeed. Burkett notes, Observe here how these carnal Jews understand all that our Savior said to be spoken in and after a carnal manner. When he spake to them before of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they understood it grossly of his natural body. When he speaks to them here of a spiritual freedom from sin, they understand it of a civil freedom from servile bondage and subjection, alleging they were Abraham's seed and never in bondage to any man. This was a manifest untruth, having been in bondage in their ancestors to the Egyptians and Babylonians, and in their own person to the Romans. But this was not the bondage that Christ meant, but a spiritual slavery enthralled them under the dominion of sin and power of Satan. For he that committeth sin is the servant of sin. 
that is, whosoever doth habitually, willfully, deliberately, and constantly allow and tolerate himself in a sinful course, he is under the servitude and thraldom of sin. Every sinner is a bond slave, and to live in sin is to live in slavery. And this every man doth till the Son make him free. Then, and not till then, is he free indeed. Learn hence that interest in Christ and continuance in his doctrine sets the soul at liberty from all the bondage whereunto it was subject in its natural and sinful state. O happy exchange from being the devil's slave to become Christ's freeman, and also freed from the rigorous exactions and terrible maledictions of the law. Verses 37 through 40. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which you have seen with your father. They answered him and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Burkett Notes The Jews, boasting again that they were Abraham's seed, and bearing themselves much upon it, our Savior tells them, He knew they were so, his natural children according to the flesh, but not his genuine children according to the Spirit. This he proves because they did not tread in Abraham's steps and do his works. For if either the temper of their minds or the action of their lives were agreeable to Abraham, they would not seek, as they did, to destroy and kill him, only for the bringing of the doctrine of salvation to them, which he had heard and learned of the Father. Thence learn, one, how prone we are to glory in our own outward privileges and to rely upon them, whereas these are arguments of God's goodness towards us, but no evidence of our goodness towards him. Two, that it's very dangerous and unsafe to pride ourselves in and depend upon any external privileges and prerogatives whatsoever, as our being born within the pale of the visible church or descending from pious parents and holy progenitors. For unless we be followers of their faith, admirers of their piety, and imitate their example, we are none of their children, but belong to another father, as our Savior tells the Jews in the other verses. Verses 41 through 44. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me, for I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your Father, the devil, and the lusts of your Father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Burkett notes, In the former verses, the Jews made their boast that they were the children of Abraham, and these, that they are the children of God. We have one Father, even God. This our Savior disproves, telling them that if God were their Father, they would love him as proceeding from him by eternal generation, and in his office employed by him as mediator. Also, if God were their father, they would understand him speaking from God, whereas now they were so transported with malice that they could not endure his doctrine with patience, though it came from God, all which were undeniable proofs that they were not the children of God. 
Hence learn that none can justly pretend any interest in God as his children, but they that love Christ as being the express image of his Father's person, and do hear and receive his doctrine as coming from God. This the Jews did not do. Therefore, Christ says, they were not the children of God. Observe farther, having told them whose children they are not, our Savior tells them plainly whose children they were. Ye are of your father the devil. This appears by their being acted by him, by their resembling and imitating of him, their inclinations, dispositions, and actions being all to fulfill the lusts of the devil. Now, as his servants, we are whom we obey, so his children we are, whom we resemble. Learn, thence that men's sinful practices will prove them to be Satan's children. Let their profession be what it will. If in the temper of their minds and in the actions of their lives there be a conformity to Satan's dispositions and a ready compliance with his temptations, they are certainly his children, whatever pretensions soever they make of being the children of God. None could pretend higher to the relation of God's children than these Jews did. Yet, says Christ, Ye are the children of the devil, for his work ye do. Note hence that the devil hath this relation of a father to all wicked men, and his fatherhood did not proceed from the act of the father, but of the children. For the devil does not make wicked men his children by begetting them, but they make the devil their father by imitating of him. Verses 45 through 50. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye, therefore, hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hath a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Burkett notes, observe here, one, the free reproof which Christ gave to the Jews for their obstinate unbelief, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Two, the challenge which he gives the worst of his adversaries, which of you convinces me of sin? So perfectly pure, innocent, and spotless was the doctrine and life of Christ, that although his enemies loaded him with slander and false accusations, yet none of them could justly convict him of much less condemn him for the least known sin. Observe 3. The Jews, being enraged at this free reproof, fell a-railing at his person, charging him with being a Samaritan, possessed with an evil spirit. Our Savior meekly replies that he did not deal with the devil, but was honoring his father in what he did and said, and therefore his father would take care of his honor and judge between him and them. Here note, that though Christ used some sharpness in reproving the Jews and representing them to themselves, yet he answers with wonderful mildness and meekness when he discovers his resentment of his own reproaches. How cool was Christ in his own cause, but warm enough in God's. Verses 51 through 55. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, 
My honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his sayings. Burkett Notes Observe here, one, the blessed fruit and effect of observing of our Savior's doctrine. He that keeps my saying shall never see death, that is, shall be secure from eternal misery and enjoy eternal life. Observe, too, how the Jews misunderstood our Savior's words. He that keeps my saying shall never see death, as if he meant a freedom from temporal death. And hereupon they looked upon him as beside himself, to promise a privilege which neither Abraham nor the prophets did ever enjoy. Whereas it was not exemption from temporal death, but freedom from eternal destruction, which our Savior promised to them that keep his sayings. Hence learn that the misunderstanding of Christ's doctrine, and taking it in a carnal sense, has been occasioned for many of the cavails and objections made against it. Observe 3. How Christ clears himself of all ambition in this matter, and shows that he did not make this promise of delivering his followers from death vaingloriously, but that God, whom they called their father, had honored him with the power to make good whatever he had promised to them that keep his saying. Learn hence that as Christ entirely sought his father's glory, so the father conferred an honor and glory upon Christ as mediator, thereby testifying how infinitely pleased he was with the redemption of mankind performed by him. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Burkett notes, that is, Abraham, having received a promise that the Messiah should come of his seed, he exceedingly rejoiced to see the day of my coming in the flesh, though afar off with the eye of his faith, and in a figure, in his sacrificed son Isaac. And this sight of his faith was so transporting that he leapt for joy. Learn hence that a strong faith gives such a clear sight of Christ, though at a distance, as produces a holy delight and rejoicing in him. Verses 57 through 59. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, what a false and ridiculous construction the Jews make of our Savior's words, as if he had affirmed that he'd seen Abraham and Abraham him with bodily eyes whereas Christ only asserted that Abraham had seen his day. That is, he foresaw by faith the day of his incarnation and coming in the flesh. Observe, too, our Savior's positive assertion of his divinity, or that he had a being as God from all eternity. For he says, before Abraham was, I am. Where note that Christ does not say, before Abraham was, I was, but before Abraham was, I am which is the proper name of God, whereby is signified the eternal duration and permanency of his being. The adversaries of Christ's divinity say that before Abraham was, Christ was, that is, in God's foreknowledge or decree. But this may be said of any other person as well as Christ, that he was in the foreknowledge of God 
before Abraham was born. Whereas undoubtedly it was Christ's design in these words to give himself some preference and advantage above Abraham, which this interpretation doth not in the least do. Observe lastly how the Jews, looking upon Christ as a blasphemer for making himself equal with God and for asserting his eternal existence, they make a furious attempt upon his life by taking up stones to cast at him, as the Jews used to deal with blasphemers. But our Savior delivers himself miraculously from their fury and escapes untouched. Learn hence that when arguments fail, the enemies of truth betake themselves to force and violence. They took up stones to cast at him. Two, that as Christ disappointed his persecutors, so he can and will deliver his people in their greatest extremities from their persecutors' rage and fury. Second Peter 2 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. No,